Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Look at verses 18 through 21. Uh, we're looking at really two very short parables this morning. Uh, they were so short that when I was planning this series, I overlooked them. Uh, they're just sitting right there in the corner of the page. Um, but I heard a sermon on these a couple weeks ago um, that was really encouraging to me, and I passed it all along to another pastor friend of mine who said he was very encouraged also, and I think it will be encouraging uh, for us um, what Jesus has to say here. So we're going to go back, even though we um, did Luke 15 last week, we're going to go back and do some from Luke 13 um, and cover these two little parables. And I may even steal some of the ideas from the sermon that I heard, uh, but I think that's probably okay. So um, the main point is pretty simple, pretty simple. God's work uh, in the world, in our church, in our lives, uh, in the lives of those that we care about, uh, God's work might not look like much to begin with. It might not look like much right now, but God is working and you can't stop it and the end of it will be amazing. Uh, so we're going to look at how that good news, uh, Jesus teaches us about that good news and how it applies to our lives in uh, a few ways this morning as we read through the text. So let's pray and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we um, love you because you first loved us and you gave your son Jesus for us and it's the word about him and the word that comes from him and um, the word that your spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles to write uh, that is our only hope for light in the darkness of this world and for life in the midst of death. And so uh, we're glad to have your word and we pray for your help as we consider it this morning um, because we know that there is uh, deadness in our hearts that needs to be overcome. And so we pray that you would uh, open our eyes and open our ears Make us able to receive your word and understand it and to be changed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its, in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So I know I've said this from the pulpit a couple of times, and it probably sounds like I'm complaining, um, maybe because I'm complaining, but uh, <clears throat> it really bugs me when people ask me, how's the church going? Um, I really hope all my friends listen to this recording online and they'll stop asking me that question. Uh, I get asked that question formally at Presbytery once a year. Isn't that enough? Um, <clears throat> how's the church going? Often people, I know, just asking this to start a friendly conversation, they're trying to be courteous, trying to show that they care about how things are going in my life. That's fine. They want to start a conversation. But I, I just get the feeling that it's a bad question in general. Or maybe uh, there's... There's a strong sense in which it can be a bad question, 
because it usually presupposes a certain kind of measurement, doesn't it? How's the church going? Well, what do you mean? It presupposes this measurement or this metric, this way to judge how things are going. You can just look at it and see, right? Uh, And the unfortunate thing is uh, that I, I get basically asked the same thing informally by unchurched friends as I do by people who have been pastors for decades, and it's the same question. It's basically, how, how's the church going? Is it growing? Which basically means, are there more people in the pews now than there used to be? Or is your budget increasing? Or are you seeing a lot of converts? And it's, um, it's difficult to answer the question, because if I answer it according to those visible measurements that we all know is behind the question, right? It's the vis- visible measurements that we all expect. If I answer it according to those, everybody's going to be discouraged, and it's going to be a miserable conversation, (laughs) right? Um, It's a difficult question to answer according to those measurements, but those measurements are according to human sight. Those measurements are according to human perception, and Jesus tells us we just can't rely on those kind of judgments as indicators of how things are really going. Those are the kinds of measurements that the world might see the world apart from the kingdom of God, the world apart from faith in Christ, the world might see these measurements and conclude uh, that there's nothing really going on, but the world is blind to what God is truly doing. We don't instinctively know how to assess the growth of the kingdom of God, the growth of the church, right? We don't instinctively know how to assess it, the progress of the gospel in the world in the church, in our lives, in the lives of those we care about. We don't instinctively know how to assess and judge how things are going. And if we don't look with the eyes of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, letting what he says, letting his teaching shape our perception, our perspective, letting what he says shape our interpretation, then um, you know, if we don't do that, we're going to miss what's actually happening, what God's really doing, and then we're going to despair. And Jesus said um, in these parables, it's actually supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be that way. He says in verses 18 and 19 in the first parable, he says, What's the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So uh, the first parable that he tells highlights the, the surprising contrast between the very small, insignificant beginnings and the final glorious state of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's just a a little tiny mustard seed. It's like the definition of insignificant, right? Uh, If you don't know what it is, you're you're probably going to mistake it for a worthless pebble. Um... In and of itself, it gives you no indicator of its real value. You look at it, how can you tell its real value? It doesn't look like it has potential for anything. The farmer knows what it is, and he knows basically what to do with it. Just a few simple steps of planting and watering, really, but it's almost incredible, even to the farmer, that this little piece of nothing, from it uh, grows a flourishing plant that provides food, and shelter, and is a a thriving part of a flourishing ecosystem. You look at that little seed, 
and you don't see all that. You look at the seed, you do not see the end result. It might never seem like much until, bam, one day it's something good and big and right. And how did that happen? How did that happen? Um, Jesus says that that's what the kingdom of God is like. It, It appears puny, inert, lifeless, not very dynamic, not impressive, but it will be. It will be. It will be dynamic and impressive and life-giving, even though uh, you wouldn't understand how just by looking at it. It doesn't make any apparent sense. You can't interpret it by sight alone, according to our normal instincts and normal perspective, right? There's a surprising contrast, almost a disconnect, really a disconnect, between the small beginnings and the final glorious state of the kingdom of God. And again, he said in verses 20 and 21, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So Jesus teaches in the second uh, very brief parable that the kingdom of God is characterized by invisible, imperceptible growth. It's invisible. The woman hid the leaven, literally uh, it, the Greek is encrypted, right? Uh, the, the woman encrypted the leaven inside of this lump so that if you look at it, it's just a lump. It's just sitting there. Not very fancy. Just by looking at it, you wouldn't be able to tell there was anything going on inside of it. Right? External indicators are minimal at best. So when someone asks, how's the lump doing? It's very hard to say. Um, Is it growing? That's kind of the wrong question. It's being transformed invisibly, slowly, from the inside out. But the amazing thing is, here's a lot of flour, right? Three measures would have been enough. I read one place to um, feed like 160 people. That, that much bread would rise from uh, this much flour and just a little starter, just a little yeast, right? The leaven is going gonna, is gonna to change the whole thing and make it good and pleasant for food for many. And Jesus says that that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's, it's in process. Sometimes it's hard to even tell that it's making progress. Hard to tell that there's a process taking place. You might be discouraged that it looks like nothing much is happening. Um, But if this whole world is like a big lump of dough, the kingdom of God is already hidden in it. It's already there. It's invisible in a lot of ways, but it's in there, and there will be no stopping it until the whole world is transformed. The kingdom of God is characterized by imperceptible, unstoppable growth. Once that leaven's in there, you can't stop it. And that's meant to be encouraging to us. It's easy to get discouraged by the visible external indicators, right? I mean, the, the Old Testament reading that Audrey read uh, from Exodus 4 and 5, like Moses and Aaron going to the people, going to the elders of Israel, saying, we've been sent here by God to tell Pharaoh, we're getting out of here and we're forming a new kingdom with this people. 
We're taking these people out of slavery, and we're going to form a new kingdom, and we're going to be brought into a promised land that's full of goodness. And, uh, and here are Moses, Moses and Aaron telling the people that. They had this assignment, and um, they told the elders, and the elders got really excited, and everybody worshiped God. But then Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they're pumped up because, hey, here's the beginning of the kingdom of God. They're pumped up, and Pharaoh laughs at them and heaps heavier burdens on them. That's discouraging. That's, that's worse than uh, just confusing. That's demoralizing. Right? Uh, the people were fully expecting God's deliverance, miraculous deliverance at the hand of Moses. And when this happened, they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge. You just made things worse for us, this whole kingdom of God business. You made things worse for us. And Moses prayed to God, why'd you ever send me? This is miserable. There's nothing going on here, right? How is this in any way the kingdom of God advancing? This is terrible. All external indicators are that God is powerless and false. And his kingdom isn't coming. But you know the rest of the story that over the course of time, uh, slowly, it took a while, inexorably, powerfully, God wrenched his people out of Pharaoh's hand and made them his own people, his own kingdom of priests. And he placed them in a land of plenty and nothing could stop him because he's the king of the universe. And this is how he has chosen to work in ways that don't make much sense to us, in ways that are often painful for us, in ways that we can't detect, in ways that uh, we certainly can't, not, we can't manufacture the growth of the kingdom in this way. And he does it to show that to him belong the kingdom and the power and the glory. We may not know all the reasons why his kingdom is like this, but Jesus encourages us by teaching us it's deliberate. It's intentional. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It might not look like much, but it's there and it's growing and nothing can stop it. And this is true ultimately in the person of, of the king, the king of his kingdom, Jesus Christ himself. Talk about small beginnings. You know, how's Podunk Nazareth for a hometown? Podunk is a technical term for insignificant, right? <laughs> uh, Nazareth as his hometown. In John, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, one of his own disciples says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And in Isaiah 53, it was prophesied about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. That's the king of this kingdom. The king was homeless for much of his earth, earthly ministry. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And people got pretty excited about him. They even came to expect big things. Their expectations were wrong, as our expectations always are that they expected big things from him, but then he was betrayed by his friend and he was handed over to the enemies and no big army came to rescue him and he was killed. He died a traitor's death and everything just looked like the world as usual. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that happens in this world. A big old lump of dough 
but the kingdom of God was at work and it burst forth into glorious life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was bodily raised from the dead by the power of God and that's when people started to realize what this had meant all along. They started to understand that the kingdom had been at work among them. The kingdom really had been at work among them. They realized it after the fact. They saw it after the fact how how it was at work. They could look back and they could point to the signs of Jesus' kingship with greater clarity, with greater understanding than they had had at the time. They began to understand all those cryptic sayings and to be encouraged and, and tremendously encouraged by the life and the work and the teachings and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It really had been in process, right there under their noses. It really had been at work. And now that their perspective had been changed, they could see it. It had all seemed puny and bleak, but with the resurrection, the power and the life of the kingdom became clearer, and that's what God's kingdom is like. It's an apparent nobody, an apparent nobody lying dead in a borrowed tomb whose resurrection gloriously makes all things new forever. And the crazy thing is that uh, this world tries to ignore that all that ever happened. Right? Um, and if, if all you go by are the external indicators, um, it does look like the kingdom of God is dead and dying. Right? The church has a pretty bad reputation. Uh, when you think about denominations, even our great denomination, <laughs> you think fighting. In our local church, we're not exactly growing by leaps and bounds. We're not exactly impressing the, the mayor of the city with our service. Right? And maybe you've got family or friends that you've been praying for for years, that they would come to faith and uh, those relationships you've invested in, and they're just going nowhere? They seem to be going nowhere. These people are not really responding much to the gospel, apparently. And certainly, you've all got areas of personal sin in your lives, and maybe you feel like you're just not making any progress at all in holiness, in obedience. Maybe you're close to giving up on your fellow Christians because they've got that sin. They don't seem to be making any progress in their lives. Maybe you're thinking about giving up on your spouse because there's that person doing the same old thing. They're just a lump of dough. Nothing's happening. Right? The whole world around us seems to be falling apart. Society and culture and the environment. The church, our ministries, our personal lives unimpressive at best. Um, All indicators are nothing's happening. Nothing. It's just a lump sitting there. (laughs) The kingdom is invisible, but it's also unstoppable. It's guaranteed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed by the power of the new life of Jesus Christ, the king himself and his resurrection. We need to learn to look at the whole world the whole world and all of our relationships in the church in light of his gospel behold he is making all things new he is making all things 
new. And when you look around outside, your eyes just see the regular old world messed up, broken in the fall by our sin, by our rebellion against God, purposeless, meaningless, full of misery and suffering, but the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith see a coming kingdom in all of it. A coming kingdom in all of it. It's already there. It's hidden in the lump, but nothing can stop it. We might not understand how the kingdom of God is growing, but we can already see some of the effects of it, like the fact that Jesus started off with 12 just kind of ho-hum guys, and now he's got like 2 billion people in a living kingdom all around the world. How did that happen? We scratch our heads. How did that happen? The kingdom of God is characterized by this imperceptible growth. It doesn't make any sense, but it certainly is growing. It's in process, all of it. The world, the whole world, the church, even our church, our personal lives, the personal lives of those who are close to us, the people that we're praying for, the people that we live with, the kingdom of God is at work in it, transforming from the inside out by the power of God that is unstoppable. And one day, we're going to open our eyes. It'll be the morning after the last day. And we'll see with joy that the kingdom really has been here all along, right under our noses, right here in the middle of us, because the risen Christ has been right here in the middle of us, present through his spirit, who lives in us, who dwells with us. And there's a sense in which all things are not yet made new. Behold, he's making all things new. And yeah, we can look at it and say, not yet, right? But there is a sense in which all things are already made new because the kingdom of God is here spiritually, but really in the person of Jesus Christ. Thomas Torrance says in his book, uh, Incarnation, he's talking about Revelation, and I think, I think he's actually talking about the book Revelation, and then... Um, but it applies to everything that God has revealed to us, that he has told us, that he has taught us in the scriptures. It says, Revelation is the unveiling to faith of history already invaded and conquered by the Lamb of God. Revelation is the unveiling to faith of the new creation as yet hidden from our eyes behind the ugly shapes of sinful history, but a new creation already consummated and waiting for fulfillment in the advent presence of Christ. No doubt we're unable to trace the lineaments of the kingdom of God in history, but it is nevertheless a fact that even now God governs and orders the course of the world so as to make all things work together for good and even the wrath of man to praise him. It's a fact. Knowing that the kingdom of God is supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be like a little mustard seed. It's supposed to be like leaven in a lump of dough. Knowing that helps us to look at the world around us with joyful expectancy rather than in despair or with anxiety. In spite of what our eyes see as we look at ourselves, as we look at each other, as we look at the church, as we look at the world, in spite of what we see, the kingdom of God is at work and so we can persevere in hope for ourselves and for our friends and for the church and for the world. We can have true peace even in the midst of of a despairing world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because this is what his kingdom is like.
Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, um, we are glad to bow our knees before you, though um, we are still confused about how you um, are at work in our lives and in the world and in this, your church, in the kingdom. We pray every Sunday and on other days as well that your kingdom would come. And uh, we pray that even now, knowing that we don't know exactly what it looks like, your kingdom coming, but we know that it is coming because you have come into the world. You've given your life for us. You've risen from the dead for us. You have ascended into heaven for us where you rule for us over all things. And you are the one who, uh, you are bringing the end of all things and, and behold, it will be a new beginning. All things being made new in your kingdom. And so we pray for your kingdom to come and we pray that you would encourage us with the knowledge that it is coming, even though we may not understand how it is coming. We submit ourselves to you, and we confess we, we never could understand everything about you, even if we were perfect, um, because we're just your creatures. But it's a good thing to be creatures under your care, Lord Jesus, because you are a good and gracious king. And so we pray this in your name. Amen.